Insurance Unplugged is sponsored by Expert.ai. Expert.ai offers AI-enabled solutions that save time, cut costs, and improve outcomes for insurance companies by extracting critical information from documents for faster, better, and more consistent decisions. Expert.ai's enterprise AI platform for insurance powers solutions from underwriting to claims with unmatched accuracy, flexibility, and scale. Welcome to Insurance Unplugged. I'm your host, Lisa Wardlaw, bringing you another behind-the-scenes, candid day in the life as it comes to the beat on the street with AI in the city. And I am so excited to be able to feature the guests, the people that I believe, if you're listening to nothing in this industry, listen to these people because they are the markers by which we should all be drawn to, to see what they're doing how they're tackling it in an unfiltered and unplugged way. So thank you so much, Gary. I've got Gary Hoberman, CEO of Uncork, joining us today. Gary, if you don't mind giving the audience, I mean, I've been a fangirl of yours since you first started Uncork. I think I was stalking you probably since you had your first website. So thank you so much. But maybe, maybe, maybe some of the guests might not know who you are. So would love for them to hear a little bit about your background and what led you to Uncork. Lisa, thank you so much for having me on. This is a blast to be here unplugged. And, you know, like there is no holding us both back, which is a little scary here. I think anyone listening has got to kind of buckle in and, and be ready for anything. But um, so, so Gary, CEO, founder, Uncork. Um, I'm a technologist. I'm an engineer. I've been coding since the earliest days. I grew up on Wall Street because that's where I felt like you could apply the skills of technology to solving real problems. And and uh, joined that exciting world of insurance in 2012 as MetLife's global CIO. And I got to live that C-suite dream and nightmare. <laughs> and we can get into what that means. We could have a lot of conversations You know what that is, right? That. The good, the bad, the good, the bad, the ugly, right? Of what it means to be in a C-suite. And, um, and I left that world in 2017 to create on Quark. I left it to basically, I, I seem to have seen a problem which no one else had. And, um, and it's funny because it hasn't changed since my vision, the, the dream I had, the needs. And a lot of times, Lisa, I kind of feel like I'm in the movie matrix and I'm asking everyone which pill they want to take, red pill, blue pill. And, and I think it's time to wake yeah. up is kind of where I am. And uh, thank you again for having I me. I love that. So first of all, just to connect the dots there a little bit. When you left, so first of all, you and I were both in those dream and nightmare roles at the same time. And I remember getting into that role thinking that I had like arrived, right? Like you arrived at the Wizard of Oz and you pull back the curtains and you're like, what? <laughs> what? What is this? And, but but the, the distinct point there is I, I had never been more isolated or lonely or the way I would articulate it, Gary, is I felt like I was living in this upside down world where I saw all these things and like nobody else saw them. So fascinatingly, that was right around, because that was like, for me, that was like 2016 to 2018. I was running this huge technology transformation project, which had failed quite a few times. We won't disclose the number of dollars, to your point, things that can put a company out of business. We won't talk about that on, on the podcast, but you can ask me offline. I'm happy to meet anybody for a drink and talk about it. But um, the thing that really resonated with me, Gary, and this was right when you were starting Uncord, is that there was like this world of technology that everything else was kind of like faking it. But I was like, no, it's like smoke and mirrors. It's a little bit of fog. 
you know, we got into like, everyone was like citizen coders and shadow IT. And I want to talk to you about that when it comes to AI. But there wasn't a lot of reality to it at that time. Like the the technology that was being used couldn't scale. Uh, I personally experienced this. Like I implemented technology that was sold to be all those things. And I was like, grind. Like when you actually process insurance transactions, man, that's where the rubber meets the road. I was doing claims and policy admins. So I was like, really? Where the room? How do you think about that, Gary? And what are some cues that we can take off that timeline as it comes to AI and the hype? Because I think you and I both want to like go with the next new thing, but like it's got to be scalable and it's got to be enterprise grade. So I'd love to hear your take on that for the audience. Yeah. You know, there's a lot there. Let's jump into like I remember when I took on the role of global CIO, I had 10,000 engineers working for me, 1.2 billion a year of spend. I had operations as well in Asia, which was interesting to just find out, oh, by the way, I actually have operations. Oh, okay. Um, and, you know, it's fascinating because when you think about that role, you as a, if you're stepping into C-suite, you have about six months before you own everyone else's problem before you. It's like there's this period of time where like you have six months to basically trash and burn anything that was done before you that's not working. Otherwise, it's yours. <laughs> and that's the, they don't tell you this, Lisa. This is the thing. There's no there's no book that will explain this to you. And then you have about 18 months to find out before if your strategy works. <laughs> so I always found it funny that like the average CIO stays 18 months. I never knew why. I'm like, why does the average CIO only spend 18 months? It's because that's when you find out if your strategy actually works. And if it doesn't, you kind of hop next role. But with that said, let's, let's jump into AI. Like to me, like technology is about value. Technology is about uh, achieving the value you set out. Business case, whatever that might be, that's been defined, however it's been defined. And AI has got to basically meet a value and deliver something of value to a customer. Otherwise, it's a toy. It's something we all play with. And by the way, it's really cool. I mean, like there is, you know, my 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 eleven year old <laughs> a fun toy too, right? So, so I gotta say, like my my eleven year old son Skyler, like he was just featured on a um, blog. He created. He's probably the most advanced AI coder I've seen, and he created a plugin for Apple, which lets you choose which AI engine, whether it's Gemini or OpenAI. And then it creates a shortcut on your Apple device to basically let you skip Google search and jump straight to ask questions. And it just made like someone did a whole write-up about this. They published a blog last week. They don't know he's 11. They have no idea that this kid, that, that now there's 5,000 downloads and counting and they're all using some 11-year-old's blog, which is amazing for them. I love it. I'm, I'm rooting on it. I was going to say, is, um, is he part of your um, Haberman Rockets um, investment fund already? He is. He is absolutely <laughs> part of Haberman Rockets. He's I'm already there. I'm loving this already. And, uh, and, and I've got like, uh, and so, so to me, like AI itself is about value and insurance, it's kind of a clash in many ways because insurance is all about prove prove that you actually did the right thing for that customer. Prove it. Prove that you actually underwrote that the right way when you wrote policy. Prove that you actually are satisfying the claim the way you agreed to. And a lot of that proof goes back to documents, policies, structures, like, you know, whether it's an annuity that like proved that you actually stopped paying it or like, why did you stop paying mm -hmm. it? You know, and all of that, all of that is proof points, which is interesting. And and AI itself doesn't yet have that ability to explain itself the way a human can, the way a human can walk you back and basically say, here's my decision and here's the run book, here's the rule. But which means like you have to understand where to apply it and how to apply it to get value. 
and it will change over time. There's no question. The one thing I would know for sure is it's too early to pick the winner in any of these AI engines. It's, it's too early to basically say who's got, you know, the right structure, who's got the right path. Um, And, you know, Lisa, the way I think through AI is there's applying AI to solve a problem. And we could go through examples there, like document, intelligent document processing. We love, we use it. There's ways to apply AI to uh, analyze and help you basically become superpower to see things you might not have seen or analytics you haven't seen. And there's um, AI to basically also help you uh, manage your software, manage your infrastructure. And there's AI to basically help your customers interact. There's multiple ways when you think yeah. through this and we've seen it all, but uh, yeah, all those are great areas to jump into. And uh, yeah. I love, well, awesome. I love those areas. Cause like, well, so first of all, I love that you start with value and you know, my, not only was I in technology, but I was a, I, I was a CFO for a little bit and I was not the naysayer CFO though. I was the CFO who really wanted to advance strategy and execution and future proof the organization, not just with strong loss ratios, but also with, to your point, I didn't want to do technology that by the time I implemented it, it would already be redundant, right? I was very open to like leapfrogging the technology. I'm a very big believer in quantum leaping when you do technology implementation because, you know, it's going to be a three to five year cycle, not to even mention the uh, transition period, the stabilization period, which is usually two acts, your, your actual implementation timeline. And so I was really big on, well, how do I leapfrog that? So to your point, I think on AI, there's the things that the CEOs will want. And this is the next conversation I want to have with you. The things that the CEOs will want that the everyone's in their annual report and their investors want and the analysts want to say. And then there's the reality of where we can put it on the um, edges and move it in. To your point, I think uh, intelligent document processing, I think servicing, clearly huge in IT, like I'm <laughs> the amount of code regressions that we've had to do and QA and code and automated testing. Um, and I also think like, how do we use it for fit for purpose to actually enrich, um, you know, you mentioned it, like this things that we don't otherwise see because of the amount of, we're such a language rich and document intense business and industry. But let's break this down. Okay, so you and I have both had the fortune of being behind that C-suite door. So, so I always tell people, I'm like, you don't really know what it's like until you've really been there. <laughs> like, it's just like, it's like a hallway I never knew. And you're laughing. It's like, what? Okay, so Gary, what is the conversation that you think, unfiltered, that the CEO and the C-suite are having right now? Where's the tension and where is the the um, alignment? So within insurance companies, and we work with banks, work with asset managers and public sector, we work with healthcare. Like we have a, within insurance, it's got a very unique challenge that the other industries do not have. And that is data. That is like data. We always said data is oil. Data is the new oil. Data is most important. When I entered insurance from banking, what I realized was data was the poorest asset that was kept within insurance companies. And yet insurance companies are purely data-driven. Everything is, it is, there is no better industry that's data-defined than insurance companies. And the entire, from from the actuarial models to the rating tables, to claims, to servicing, it's all data. 
And data is the most critical input to AI. You need clean data. There's no magic there. There's, we've been brought in by many insurance executives to say, hey, I've got all this unstructured data here. Could you make sense of it mm -hmm. for us using AI? And the answer is no. The answer is like, you need clean data and you need clean processes. And these are like hygiene. This is like basic hygiene. And Lisa, the thing in insurance companies that I found, which is unique to them, is the legacy excuse. So um, what's different? And PNC has a little bit of an advantage over life. So if you separate yeah. the two, but like life, when you sell a policy, it's that system will be around till the last policy is around unless you yeah. migrate. Like in PNC, at least you get that chance to renew. <laughs> and that's great. That gives you a little bit of a chance. But the reality is like I entered MetLife and it was a world of, as the SIs put it, the most complex legacy environment there was, you know, 412 administrative systems was what we documented, 85 different commission systems. Like you think about insurance and that complexity. And the problem is it becomes the blocker for innovation. So if you were, if you and I were working together, it would have been an insane combination because <laughs> you'd be like, we're going to go here. And I'm going to say, yes, that's where we're going to go. And like, I've got to figure out how to not have the legacy drag you yeah. back. Like, that's the question. Like the underpin, and right? It's interesting because the under, I mean, there's like, I'll never forget, there was a, there was a regulatory project, which was called uh, electronic deathmatch when I entered. I was like, wow, that's the coolest name project I've ever had in my life. I am excited to come out of, you know, trading systems to go work in insurance when there's a, a project named electronic deathmatch. <laughs> and the reality was this entire project, which was across the industry, was just trying to correct social security numbers. You know, you know. <laughs> it's like, wait, the amount of time I've spent wait. trying to get to a single version of the truth of someone's name and social is unparalleled. So yeah, I'm laughing, Gary. You know, it is. And, and yet we're talking about AI. <laughs> like, it's like, oh, we've got all this large language models. It's like, but wait, we don't have the right social. Um, so how do we know who you are? Um, that's what it comes down to, which is really funny. Um, so to me, like the insurance industry, number one, like it's got to get clean data, clean processes, got to get systems to basically collect that. Number, number two, it's got to address the legacy. Yeah. Like that's the, and the C-suite, you know, to your question, like you enter the C-suite and you don't understand this. You don't know this. Um, you know, you have no idea what you're coming into. Um, the first call you get where it's like, we can't add a new, you know, broker because we ran out of numbers <laughs> in a COBOL file. Like the so well, out of numbers. Oh yeah, I'm with you on that one. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And, and then, you know, the biggest thing is like, I think you have this excitement. You as a business leader or CMO, like on the business side or, and me as like a technology provider, like there's an excitement of what's possible. Like, wow, 1.2 billion a year of spend. Like that's, what could you right. do with that? And then you step back and you realize 80% is just keeping the things running that were here before you joined. Yeah. Like, and like I, there was some, a friend of mine had said like, take the past, take the history, throw it, celebrate it, and then run it over with a truck. Um, that's kind of what I would think like the untold, untold aspects of being a C-suite is like a lot of stress and a lot of barriers to change that you have to be willing to break through. And that's no well, question about that. Okay. So first of all, I totally agree with you. Secondly, I agree with you on the exclamation point, your point about legacy's excuse. I'll also exclamation point the data. And here's where I want to come in on the data as an excuse. 
you said it as, okay, it has to be there. I agree with you. It's like, I'm going to give you this really dump trunk of crap and you're just going to use some magical tool like a diet pill and you're going to be skinny and get to eat all the donuts you want and do whatever you want. So like, I totally agree with you like that it requires good hygiene. But here's the, where I draw the line is the excuses. Everyone has crappy data and everyone has legacy tech. So the way I used to talk to my vendors, you can imagine they loved working with me, Gary. I was like, so how are we going to play the game differently? Because, and we all have predominantly the same checkbooks, Gary, come on. We all, like, we all spend about the same amount. You know, I could, I could go up to up with your IT spend and my IT spend. We're all kind of in the same club. So for me, it's like, how do we play the game differently? And so I take that and I think, oh, here comes another shiny toy. But this shiny toy has these additional advantages. And so what I'm looking for, if I'm an analyst, if I'm a CEO, or, you know, if I'm following the people that I'm like, they kind of mark, let's play the market, like where the stocks move, you know, these people mark where it moves. I'm looking for people that are breaking this down and they're playing the game differently. They're not going to just throw the little widget at the most, I'm not saying common use cases aren't relevant, do it people just like, you know, brushing your teeth in the morning. I'll stick with the hygiene example. But what are the things that you think people should be thinking about? And that you and I would be like, our heads would turn. We're like, okay, wait, I'm going to follow that because that's playing the game differently, but in an executable way. Have you heard of any of that? Yet? Yeah, I, I love it. So let me go through. And this is kind of the way we think through when we talk to our customers is think about a process of insurance. So, um, we, we have a concept of what we call a submission hub. And it's been the missing piece in all insurance, which is, we, you would love the name, Lisa. We call it the digital front door. It's like, it's like it doesn't matter how applications and submissions, whether it's PNC, whether it's life, whether it's annuities, whether it's specialty, it doesn't really matter. It's coming in in some crazy shape or form today. An email, unstructured, structured. It goes to a call center in India, comes back in here, it goes to, like, it doesn't matter. It's coming in. Once it comes in, how do we standardize it? You know, model the data, map the data. Once it's there now, like, how do we actually enrich it? And that's, just think about, just focus on one process yeah. for a second. Submission. It comes in the door. Digital front door. There's the whole AI IDP concept, which is intelligent document mm-hmm. processing. We work with everyone from, you know, Instabase and Eigen and Quantify, and you've got Google Vision, and you've got Amazon's services there. And, and we can keep going on the list. Like, um, these are heavily specialized AI engines to basically read documents. They work really well. I mean, the, the amount of work we're doing with them and just not just insurance, but banks, but everything from could be reading loss runs, could be reading in emails and unstructured data, applications, PDFs. Like, so to me, like a real good use case of AI is data yeah. extraction. It's I've got to basically get the key pieces of information I want out of something which I don't yet understand and it could change. Let me actually use these engines to do it and they work extremely well. And so like submission hub to us is like, hey, digital front door comes in and basically now we could actually use these technologies to basically extract out the key fields you need to quote, you know, a business or to write a business, to write new business. But then the next piece I would say is it comes in the door. What do you do with it? Well, you have to underwrite it. 
And so to me, it becomes an underwriter workbench. It's like, okay, not just underwriter workbench, but then how do we enrich the data using AI? So how do we now provide the underwriter more information from large language models, from modeling tools, from all the different engines you want to bring in to just basically help them make a decision. Now, not yet make the decision, but like, I do think it could be enough information to reject the decision, meaning a lot of problems underwriters have is there's too much on their desk to go through. How would you actually start to tune it so you only allow real yeah. valid policies to be quoted? Like that's that's well, a great use and the cra- To me, that's, and I, that's The huge. crazy thing about this is like, you know, I, I've been working on algorithmic underwriting for at least eight years. <clears throat> I was also working on what I called... I didn't, I, I, didn't, I didn't have a cool name for it, like the digital front door. I called it the digitization suite. I was after like, and and back in those days, Gary, I had my, my lovely IT team. I'm like, depending on what it is, you have to write, route it to the proper digitization suite because at the time we didn't have LLMs. And so I was like, okay, if it's a, if, you know, I, I was taking it between like, PDF form, OCR, JPEG, handwriting. I was hanging out with the Microsoft people. If it's handwritten, how do I scrape the, you know. But but what now? Like to me, the eureka moment here, the light bulb. It's like for people that were trying to do these things, that were thinking through, I need a one stop. I can't just apply one tool or technology to everything because you, you, that's what failed with digitization, Right. So for you, it's the digital front door. For me, it was the digital suite. But now if I were in this role, I would be saying, okay, I'm going to pull an LLM in, which now is going to create unparalleled capability. Because before we were trying to have like a computer read things digitally. Now we're allowing linguistics to actually read, to actually compare content. And so I think that's opening up to your point, how we digitize things. And to your point, we've got to get the data structured. (laughs) And it's also opening up probably the ability to get things off of people's desks for sure. But in a much more intelligent way, it's allowing me to orate with you. I mean, we could probably even go beyond typing, right? And we can now say, okay, what is it seeing that I wasn't seeing? What am I seeing that it's not seeing? And it's allowing you to have this cross-pollination between the risk assessor and the data. I think the, and, and maybe I'm like off on, you know, a tangent here, like out on the edge. I think the ability for LLMs, because to your point, like AI has been around for a while, but the, the application of language to insurance, I think is really important. And I think you highlighted such a great example. Where do you think that connects into codeless? Like, how do you believe codeless further perpetuates or accelerates that use of AI as people are thinking about it? Yes. Yeah, so to us, um, you know, it is too early to pick a winner. It's too early to understand which engine is going to be best for which purpose. And by the way, I could tell you for sure it's not one. So, you know, if you're doing document ingestion, there's technology that is really good at like structured data, some good at, you know, government forms. There's another technology really good at unstructured. Some are good at really at financial documents, some are good at insurance. You're going to need multiple. So the way we see codeless is it's a layer. You know, literally, Lisa, this is the biggest the biggest issue I've had, you know, is the research groups came up with a category, which they call low code, no code. And anyone listening, the way you should think of low code, no code is they're describing a developer tool. 
That's it. It's simply a developer tool, nothing to do with the product that you actually run or the maintenance of that product or the end state. So like, so Codeless to us is much more, it's the actual product that runs. It's the layer in the engine. And that's how we've defined on Quark. And that's who we are. Now, what we basically see AI doing for us is we allow you to plug in any LLM, any IDP, any of the future winners in these spaces. And by the way, replace them with ever who's going to be best next with a click of a button. Because what I found, Lisa, I'm sure you've been in your role. I'm sure you came to your IT group and said, hey, I want to use this hot new API that's available to enrich my data here. And I'm going to, you have to go integrate yeah. with this. And then you get back a bill for $10 million and it takes eight months. Yeah. And you've they've hard coded this integration to this tool, which now blew your business case because of how much money it spent. There's no way you're going to get that back. And so to our world, Codeless enables you to swap in and out any of the AI engines without any issue, without ever changing your process, without ever changing your data, and lets us store your data correctly, your processes correctly, your definitions. And it makes the AI nothing but an API yeah. plugin, which is what it should be. And that's kind of the way we well, see it. Well, I think that's so important. And I this is kind of like the digitization suite. And yes, I get I used to get charged per API integration. <laughs> My number was 150000 per API integration just to set it up, Gary. And I was like, oh, but that's why I always- Wow, they were, you had a good IT had group, good by the way. That's a low number. <laughs> but, that's good. but here's what's funny. <laughs> I would add up all the integrations because you would have bi-directional, you would have this. I'm like, ah! I can't, I, you know, I can't do this, but here's what's crazy. As soon as that, that integration gets built, the technology, and you've got to think about this with AI and all the different things that are out there, the technology is moving at such a pace that you have to assume going in dynamic, your, your, your tools that you're going to want to use in your suite need to be dynamic. They're not going to be static. And so I think a lot about abstraction layers, Gary, and I think a lot about how do I insulate my business choice, my business decisions. So for anybody out there that's running the PL and, and your head's on the line and you're like, hey, how do I do this? And you picked your favorite tool and you're like, oh, crap, 18 months from now, I'm going to realize that tool has changed or it wasn't the best in breed or another horse just started running the race faster or whatever. I think a lot about abstraction and insulating myself to allow myself the latitude of change. And I think what you just described supports that, Gary, right? Like that's what I think the executives need to be thinking about. It's exactly it. I completely agree. And that's that's the, the goal of Codeless is you should be able to adapt your requirements easily without ever being locked into one specific place. And that's what you that's what you need. That's what the future has to hold. You know, Lisa, I, I'll tell you the the thing that's been in the back of my mind with everything I've been seeing is on life insurance, let's just take life for a second. And um, I know life very well from, of course, not life days, but like there's 15,000 state regulators trying to ensure that the policy document signed by the customer is implemented correctly in the policy system, such that when they need a claim to be paid, it's paid the way it should be paid. And the premiums adjust to what it is. Like that's the simplest way to describe insurance is that's really what's happening today, right? That's the and we, you as a business partner will say, Hey, Gary, I want to, I want to launch a new life product. Great. You're going to give me, you know, Hey, I want to use, you know, the Apple watch. I want to use the Apple headset and I want to basically do all these cool things to basically know, you know, you know, if there's a question in time before the Apple headset will know if I'm focusing while driving or not. And like my insurance will go up because I looked the wrong, looked away, but 
like you have this great idea for a brand new product. That's, that's great. Um, like I've got to take your requirements, which you give me in a Word document and I've got to translate it into system, into a policy system or a policy definition, which I've seen 50 year old systems, you know, that have this and it'll stay around forever. And the question I have with everything I'm seeing with IDP and AI is like, does, does the life policy system have a value in a long state? Because could, could I just read the customer's policy that they specified and work on it? Do I need to actually even store a policy anymore? Because if the regulator is holding me to the contract that you signed as a customer, so you signed that policy, you're going to pay this much premium, it's term life, it's whole life, you know, it's index annuity, whatever it might be. Imagine the world where the AI simply reads what you've signed because I've documented it and I don't need to redefine that in code into a system. Like that's a really so cool vision. That's a cool we, We've gone to a whole nother level here, Gary, but um, there are some technologies that I've been looking at that are very widely available in the market. Very few people are deploying them yet that have a combination effect of a web three and a web two combo that can go between both worlds and you can put a mesh on top of that. And so you start to think about, by the way, I'm not talking crypto here, but if you start to think about a distributed ledger in which the intent and consent or origination of the transaction is authenticated, we get into a whole new realm of, to your point about that legacy as an excuse, we may not have to store, compute, process, or move data in the same ways. Now, as we start to apply AI, the obstacle that I see is, and I see this in a lot of tech projects in general, but I will think it's becoming more like concerning to me with AI, is we try to apply new things to old systems, old processes, et cetera. We don't really, there's not a lot of us, which I'll ask you about this in the rebel. There's not a lot of people that outthink or rethink the new norm. And so Gary, like to me, you are one of the most rebellious tech visionaries, A, because you can't, you cut your teeth in the cornerstone of Wall Street and insurance, right? It's like you, you grew up in the, you know, I'll say the linear of the linear of the linear, but the way you had the vision and executed on code lists. Like, again, you're somebody that turned my head a long time ago. I think that we need to challenge ourselves to think differently about the application of AI. I'm not saying that we don't drive value because clearly we have to drive value. Where do you think that people should be focused? And I had this discussion with Caitlin McGregor, who runs a company called Plum.io, a little connection here. And she and I were talking about we're, we're, we're going to need to start looking less for tech skills in AI and more about almost like ambiguity and application skills and conceptual thinking. Where do you think that's all going to come to roost? Like, how do you think that's all going to come together? What would you tell people? Yeah, so I'm going to, and I am normally the most optimistic person <laughs> you're going to meet, right? So, and by the way, I was at a, I was at like some insane conference I loved, which was just a thought leadership conference. And I was in a group and they basically, the, the conversation was, will AI kill us all? And I'm like, of course it will. <laughs> <laughs> Life works are going to come out. You're and gone. Like, you're gone, man. <laughs> uh, you know, and, and it was so funny because Lisa, like they were like, this guy next to me runs like climate for like the whole EU or something like that. He's brilliant, brilliant. And he's like, AI is going to solve all climate control and it's going 
going to figure out decarbonization. And I'm like, if AI figures out decarbonization, it will ground every plane and crash every car <laughs> because it knows where it's coming from. It's like, like moving it's away like, from you I, after launch. He's like, I'm not sitting by you again. <laughs> yes. Yeah, no, it's, uh, but, but reality is like on the, what I see that I know it should not do. I'm going to start with where it should not do as opposed to where it, like, AI should not write code. It shouldn't help you write, write code. It shouldn't help you review code. Like AI itself, like AI is an out large language models are about reading a language to interpret and basically provide a new language out. That's really what it's doing is AI, you ask a question, it answers it. It's language to language translation. And if you're using AI to basically provide an English statement like, hey, I need a new contact us page, like the AI will basically be able to write all the HTML, CSS, JavaScript, Java, the .NET, the database schemas. Ease, I've done it like easily and be able to do it. And it'll be able to provide you that code, which you then deploy. And like 1994, I entered Wall Street and I was 22. And I was, I was a hardcore engineer and and I was at a company called Bankers Trust, which uh, was purchased by Deutsche Bank, yeah. I believe it was. And they basically, um, I was there and they basically said, we want you to write, you know, a money transfer screen. It's one screen and store it in Sybase and C++. And I'm like, shit, like they're going to ask me to basically do another one if I do it well. And another one, another <laughs> one. And my life's going to be boring <laughs> as hell. And this is, so I'm like, I'm going to write a code generator. So I just simply fill out this one table and it click a button and it'll generate every screen I want to generate with all the code and database. And like, so 30 years ago, I did what AI, we're excited about AI doing today. Now, what happened as a result of me doing that was in six months, I was the youngest promotion up for promotion in the history of the company and 700 different transaction types were in my system. Everyone from equity, every trade, every fixed income, everything. And as I looked at it and what was happening, what I realized was it couldn't be supported. Mm. There was, so when I left to take a bigger role at Smith Barney and basically now I'm in wealth management and mutual funds and they replaced a 22-year-old kid with seven hardcore senior engineers <laughs> to just support what was being built. And and so to me, like this idea that AI should help you write code, by the way, it doesn't. It doesn't do it well. And the, the statistics will show that if it's helping you create code, if you're a good engineer, it helps you better. And if you're a bad engineer, it makes yeah. it worse. Like it's just not – And but the whole end state to me is like why create more legacy faster? Why – that's what AI is – all I keep hearing about is, and, and going back to the matrix, like I kind of close my eyes and I feel like there's code all around us. There's code that, you know, was offshore to 3,000 people here to basically write and 5,000 yeah. people here and 100 engineers here. And like all that code, it's written and it's sitting out there waiting for someone to hack into it. Or it's waiting for a performance issue or it's waiting to be end of life for the shelf life. And like AI is creating more of that is the wrong way to go. It's the exact opposite of what it should be doing to help us. It's making us worse, which is scary. That's By where way, all like, I can do is so take all that code against. that exists and permeates and continue to, to permeate it and repermeate it because it's because it's learning on what's out there. So what I am excited about and what everyone should be looking at is AI understands language. It's large language models understand language. Code is language. For the first time, let's address the legacy question. Let's stop legacy for being the excuse that you and I started with, which is, hey, you come in and you realize how many admin systems we have. So we are working. We have one 
very large insurance company that migrated an entire technology to Uncork using AI. Another one is doing it right now. Another one's doing Cobalt to Uncork. A very large bank just picked us to do all Java. Every 600,000 lines of Java code they wrote are coming to us through AI and machine learning and LLMs. And I love it because maybe we finally take all of the history we built up and we refactor it to something meaningful where the business user could support it versus tech. I love that. How do we enable the business user to basically step into the role and you don't need a Cobo engineer, you just need a business analyst. And that's where I'm excited by what AI could do and where it's going. Well, Gary, back in the day when I was trying to get my CIO to go to the cloud, I used to, he would tell me, we're not going to the cloud, we're not going to the cloud, we're not going to the cloud. And oddly enough, my business leader was like, Lisa, you've got to get him to go to the cloud. So I started this whole, we're going to the cloud. I painted my nails. There was an OPI. I don't know if you know what OPI is. It's a gel nail polish color. And I, it's, there's one called in the cloud. It's really bright white. I do not. I, I'm going to be honest. But yeah, you're yes, being honest here. I like to learn we're, new things. We're unfiltered yeah. now. So I was like, every time I would meet with him, I would have my nails painted in the cloud. I'm like, we're going to the cloud. And like what, what history will unfold here, Gary, is that I took in 2017, 85% of our applications to the cloud. I retired a Cobalt mainframe. Yes. Like literally retired, like turn it off. Like nobody resuscitated that baby. I am impressed. <laughs> that is very I, I don't know how I lived through it, but somehow I lived through it. But as I'm sitting here now, I'm thinking I want some sort of an AI <laughs> LLM, like nail polish color. Maybe we could have a, maybe we could get Taylor Swift and OPI to do a color for us. But what is, so for me, my call to action to everyone is move to AI, but do it strategically and understanding what you're trying to get rid of, eliminate, improve, extract value from. So your point, like retire legacy, what is your call to action to all of our listeners? They've hung in with us. They've heard a lot of behind the scenes unfiltered. What is your final call to action? To me, it's around, let's get your data and processes correct and digitized correctly and allow you to swap in and out any AI engine of today, tomorrow, or the future within whatever devices that might come that we don't know about yet. So that's kind of what I would say. And and by the way, the cloud conversation, Lisa, like it's it's amazing. You should get out there. Like I'm I'm in these conversations now <laughs> where people are like, hey, the cloud's the cloud's not valuable because it's too costly. It's too <laughs> and I remember the days in 2007 was the first time I learned about the concept before they called it cloud. And, and my business partner was like, I was at Citigroup. The share price was $500 a share. And I don't know if you know where it is today, but it's nowhere near that. And the my business user was like, could we just give them all of our infrastructure and let them run it for <laughs> us? Like that's, and, and instead IT basically spent I don't want to tell you how much money to hire consultants to say how great we are at running yeah, our infrastructure. Yeah, yeah. Instead of the simple question, which was the business user asked, which is, we're a bank. We're not an infrastructure <laughs> company. <laughs> like, and it's strategy. It's strategy. Remember, it's got to be about you know, it gets back Do you remember research. those days, yeah. though, where we yeah. used to, as said insurance companies, say, like, our IT infrastructure, not only are we better, not only are we decent, but we're better than the, than the Microsofts or the Googles oh of the world, like Amazon. <laughs> like, yeah, we, can, we got this. Pat us on the back. 
the things that I learned when I entered insurance, the other thing I would say is there was this concept of rebaselining where like, oh, we have projects, but we rebaselined it so it's green again. I'm like, but it was red <laughs> last week and now it's green. What do you mean? What do you mean? What do you mean it's it's green now? It was like we're, we're ten million over budget. <laughs> it's like five years behind. But like, so to me, like, I think we have to be honest. It's got to come down to like, be, like, what's your strategy? What's the honesty? What are you actually seeing? And that comes down to like, I I've seen business cases where it's like we've discounted the employee to zero because the employee is already here. Like Mary's already working here. What do we? Yeah. You know, like that's as opposed to, but if someone else could do it better. And why are we even in the business if they could do it better than us? And like that to me is like where what even AI is going to come down to. It's going to be the same story. It's going to be everyone trying to justify, like build their own LLMs instead of using someone else's, build their own engines instead of using someone else's, bring it on-prem because we can't trust it. Like all those are the things you could see playing out. as Totally. Well, first of all, Gary... I think awesome. we need a few more podcasts because we've got a lot to unpack. Definitely as soon as do you it. said project rebaselining, I was like triggered post-traumatic stress there. I think we could have a whole session on that. Um, but it has been amazing to have you here as, a, as an all-star guest on Insurance Unplugged. Really, I think the core points are extract value, retire the legacy, get your data and your processes fixed and future proof. So thank you so much for being a guest today on another episode of Insurance Unplugged. Thank you, Lisa, for having me. And uh, I will always come back on. Any topics we could basically unpack would be great. That's good. Thank you for having having me on. It's been a pleasure. Thank you. Take care. This episode of Insurance Unplugged was brought to you by Expert.ai. With Expert.ai's hybrid AI approach, the symbolic AI, machine learning, and LLMs are combined to bring the level of understanding and insight offered by an experienced claims professional at scale across an organization. Join us next week as we continue our discussion on Insurance Unplugged, uncovering all the behind the scenes AI in the city, sponsored by Expert.ai.